Oh, there we go. All right, cool. All right. Oh, here we All go. All right. The band back together again. And yeah, unfortunately, uh, AJ, um, we have run out of time today, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Let me just sign off. <laughs> so, gosh, uh, look, this is the first time we've done a podcast where you guys have spent the last probably 15 minutes talking to each other. Um, so I'm not, even love sure, you, man. I'm not even sure how to, uh, how, how to introduce you, but uh, look, let's have a crack at it anyway. So this is podcast number seven, I'm thinking, Pete. Yeah, I think you're right. Podcast number seven. And uh, our special guest today on the podcast is, um, I'm going to say his real name, Arjuna Kulatung, um, shortened to AJ. Um, AJ is, well, is born and bred Territorian, as I recall, um, and, uh, but uh, uh, moved to Melbourne a little while ago, um, a bit like you, Pete. So, AJ, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Leon and Pete. Thanks for having me here. You guys are doing an amazing job on this podcast. Really? How do you know? Have you been listening? <laughs> well, well, yes, yes. I have this silly little thing about... I have a silly little thing about being careful who I sit down with, so I try to do as much research as possible. Right, okay. Well, you shouldn't have any problems with me, mate, because you and I go back a long way. I know, I know. I was still in my mother's womb when I met you, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so just for, for your background, Pete, and also for the background of uh, our listeners, um, I, I met AJ through his mum, uh, Brenda, uh, Brenda and I were colleagues, uh, this is going back to the mid-90s, uh, when I worked in the revenue office, and Brenda was there as well, and uh, I got to know Brenda pretty well, and being, um, you know, both of us with Sri Lankan heritage, uh, her probably more than me, because I, I wasn't born there, um, uh, we kind of, you know, hit it off, and Brenda introduced me to her husband, um, Muni, uh, unfortunately, Muni passed away um, some time back. Um, and, yeah, so I went around to their place a few times, as I recall, to have um, dinner and, uh, you know, to get uh, involved in much of the Sri Lankan festivities from time to time. And AJ was a little fella, a little tacker that used to run around and uh, play in the yard and all sorts of stuff. Nothing's changed, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the, yard's, the yard's a little bit bigger now, but nothing's changed. <laughs> the, the, what, I, what I did want to say, though, AJ, is that my, my most distinct memory um, of your, being at your place uh, was 1995. And Good vintage. Yes, a good vintage. Uh, how old were you then? Just to, just so that we can, I can at least. Put, oh, put mate, I'm I'm crap with maths, eh? So <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go with let's go with five years old and see what let's takes just us. Say, let, let, let's just say uh, you weren't at uni though, were you? No, you couldn't have been. I don't think you were at uni in '95. Anyway, um, my my distinct memory of that was. It was the World Cup. Actually, it might have been 96, was it? The World, 96 it was the World, World Cup. Cup. <laughs> World Cup, that's it. Every, it every was... Sri Lankan remembers that date. <laughs> oh, my God. And every Australian tries to forget it. I know, right. I know. So, Pete, you can imagine, at, at that point, it was a seminal point in my life, Pete, because I realised where my allegiances were. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just, I was beside myself with grief. <laughs> <laughs> That I was sitting in a, in a Sri Lankan household in Darwin, uh, 
yeah. where everybody else except me was going nuts about Sri Lanka winning. Um, and, yeah, but anyway, I don't know. Just a very um, quick break in there because obviously we want to hear what, what AJ um, has to say about that. But I actually spent about a year in Sri Lanka shortly after that. Wow. Um, and I was working with a, an FM radio station there called Yes FM, which at that stage was the only English-speaking station in the country. And yeah, um, wow. it was still when they had the civil war and there was a lot of unrest and what have you. And I lived very close to the, uh, the army base in Colombo. And yep. I was coming home from work one night in my van and we got stopped at one of the many checkpoints along the way. And these two heavily armed guards said to the driver of, the van you know who's this guy what are you doing blah 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 and he's obviously said oh he's australian works for yes fm um you know and normally they just wave us straight through and they mm. sort of motioned to this guy to stop uh you know as in not go forward they both mm. walked around to the side of the van they opened the sliding door and almost in unison they both put their you know their leading foot up onto the step and their machine guns under the sort of the hood of the roof mm. and uh one of them said to me, it was probably about seven o'clock at night, so it was sort of dark outside. And one said to me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Australia. And then this big beaming smile comes over his face and he goes, we beat you in the World Cup. <laughs> <laughs> it went here to frivolity in half a second. Yeah, of course. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So AJ, uh, what we what we normally do on these podcasts, uh, and we we tend to sort of mishmash around a bit, but what we normally do with our guests is we give you an opportunity to give us a bit of your background, your story, and, and you know, obviously your connection to Darwin. So um, the floor is yours, mate. Oh wow. Okay. Um, no pressure. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> so um, born and bred Darwin, uh, Sri Lankan parents, as as you can imagine. Uh, so my parents, uh, for those of you who don't know, if you've never uh, encountered uh, a Sri Lankan family with young children, uh, it's, it's quite an interesting time to grow up with because usually your parents are from a different uh, era where academic excellence equals life fulfillment. And, uh, and if you're not too smart at school, then uh, your childhood growing up is quite complicated. Uh, so, so, you know, like my dad, uh, love him to death. And, uh, you know, but he was very, very controlling and strict on me because, you know, it, it was prestigious for to get top marks in school. And, uh, you know, I, I could never <laughs> I could never get those top marks. Right. So it was always this internal conflict within me. And uh, and that was my childhood. And then come year 12, you know, everyone's up on stage getting these amazing awards. And uh, I, I didn't make the top 20. So. The, the, the rite of passage for every Lunken child is if you're not in the top 20, you get disowned for a week. <laughs> so, so, you know, um, so that was quite hard. But, uh, and, and I couldn't understand what I'd done wrong, you know, like I gave it my best shot and it just didn't work out. But, you know, mum and dad weren't, mum was not pleased, but dad was on the warpath, you know. So it was very interesting. And, uh, and, and why, why my background like that is, is very important. Like, I'll come back to why that makes sense. So I went off to uni, scored a scholarship, um, you know, <laughs> surprise, surprise, not in the top 20, but I still scored a scholarship. And uh, went down to Monash University, learned how things worked outside Darwin. 
uh, why Monash? Because it was it was the furthest place I, in Melbourne I could get to on land with, away from my parents. Uh, so <laughs> so went, went down there to uh, to learn how things worked outside Darwin, and um, and it was good, you know. And uh, came back to uh, came back to Darwin after that, and uh, got into uh, studied IT business. Got into an amazing, phenomenal consulting job up there with one of uh, one of the IT firms up in Darwin. And uh, and my career just exploded within six months. I was doing amazing things, and I had a great boss. And then uh, and then everything fell apart because uh, I, I have got another manager, and, uh, and and we just butted heads right from the start. We butted heads. And again, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So uh, this this guy was like, he was really like, it was a really bad experience. You know, I would wake up as a young graduate and, and cry because I didn't want to go to work anymore. And, uh, you know, no one should ever be made to feel like that. So anyway, at the time, you know, I was really confused. I was, you know, what what is going on? I didn't know what was happening with my career. No one would support me because everyone else needed their J-O-B. And, uh, you know, so so I was very confuzzled, right? And and my parents were, you know, like, he's, he's a traditional Sri Lankan culture, you know, respect your elders, you know, so no support there. And, uh, and I just stumbled upon um, flicking on the TV one day and I saw this show, The Apprentice, Donald Trump's The Apprentice. And, uh, and I was like, wow, this is, uh, this is really interesting. There are young people in business. And I know now that sounds like, you know, what the hell are you smoking? <laughs> like young people in business, everyone does that. But, but when I went through it, I didn't know any young people in business. It was something that the adults did, you know. So, so I started seeing this and I started getting really inspired by it. And I thought, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit my job and start my own consulting firm. And I did. And I never looked back. And, and uh, you know, it was, it was amazing. Like I'm, I was just a young fellow at the time, didn't know anything about business. Uh, and, uh, you know, but I was technically competent. And so I started the IT consulting firm. Uh, and one thing I used to do was whenever I had a challenge in my business, like whether that's, you know, managing staff or writing proposals and stuff like that, you know, I would, I would hop on a plane and go down south on holiday and I'd go to Borders bookstore and pick up you know, all the books I could on either project management, leadership, whatever, and I'd just be like sponge. And so, so everyone else would come back with the, like, you know, great stories about nightclub adventures and new clothes and, and all this stuff. And me, I'm lugging a suitcase back full of books, you know, and, um, and it's amazing, but I implemented, you know, and, and the reason why I share that, that perspective of my background is that I truly, even to this day, I still have no clue how things work you know, but I've got enough skills inside of me to realize when I don't know about a particular topic and then I go learn. And that's been a, a common theme amongst my whole life and my career. And how now, now I'm a professional keynote speaker and I speak on corporate innovation and entrepreneurship. And how I got there was basically, you know, I started a business and I learned about business and then I transitioned out of that business into, um, into, you know, um, speaking and, and and consulting and now it's full-time speaking so so the reason what i why i share that story is that how i got into speaking was pretty much just sharing that story you know how does a kid from darwin with with no particular advantage get you know get recognition in the town how do you achieve stuff uh you know i was i was blessed to be named young achiever of the year and, uh, you know, that opened up a lot of doors for me. And one of the doors that opened up was I got to speak up October Business Month um, and open the floor for another speaker. And, <laughs> and I got on stage and I did my thing. And the speaker came up afterwards and she goes, oh, AJ, you're amazing. You know, who represents you? 
And I said, what do you mean represents? And she was like, you know, takes the booking, takes the money. I'm like, money? You get paid for this? <laughs> and, and she said to me, oh, sweetheart, we'll, we'll keep in touch and, and I'll teach you how to be a professional speaker. So for the last 10 years, that's what I've been doing, learning from some of the best people on the planet and learning my craft and my skills. And, and now I'm very passionate about my home, which is, which is Darwin, you know, like, I mean, Leon, you live there, so you, you get this. And Pete, when you go back, you'll get this too. But you can go all over the world, mate, and you will never, ever, ever find a place as unique as Darwin. It's just, it's beautiful. And, and I've, had, um, I've had an interesting relationship with it in, in terms of love and hate because I love it because now I'm a lot older and I understand how, how the world works and I understand the beauty of Darwin. But when I was there, you know, I was always achieving stuff and I got to a level where I just couldn't go to the next level. You know, it wasn't, wasn't the talent. It wasn't the, the mindset there, you know. And, and I recently went back and, and you know, explored uh, how things are going in Darwin. And, and, mate, I swear to God, Darwin is probably one of the few cities in the world with unlimited potential. I've never seen so much potential there. And it's very exciting. So that's a very long-winded story of who I am, what I do, and why I'm here with you guys today. I love it. I love the positivity behind it, AJ, because, you know, as, as um, we've done a few previous podcasts which are talking about you know, crime rates and mm. problems that are occurring there at the moment because, you know, the town was on a high probably five, six, seven years ago mm. and it's, it's, it's a bit of a lull for a variety of reasons. Mm. And, yeah, I think you're right. I was there 15 years and, and, and last year, um, headed off with with no form of permanency in mind, but just with with the need to see some other things and do some other things for a while. Mm. But um, the, it does offer so much. Um, but yeah, it, it it's probably only ever going to be what it's going to be in terms of its size and population and whatever. But that brings massive advantages as well. Of course, of course. And and you know what we were speaking about before on on one of the. Uh, many false starts to this particular uh, podcast was, you know, um, we were talking about, we we're talking about what it really means to be multicultural, you know, and, and a lot of cities claim to be multicultural, but, you know, even in Australia, like I've lived in three places now and, and I still see Darwin as really unique. And, and my definition of true multiculturalism, and, and Peter, I explained this before, is that go to, um, go to any city in the world and if you want to see how multicultural they truly are, go to a shopping centre find the food court and sit down there and observe who sits around the tables at the food court. What nationalities are they? Are they all of the same nationality or are they all different nationalities? And, and Darwin's one of the truly multicultural places I feel because you go to, you go to Casuarina Square and, and around a table, you'll see an Asian, you'll see an Indian, you'll see an African. And now the, with the influx of Nepalese, you'll see Nepalese people there, right? But you go, you go down south to Sydney, Brisbane or Melbourne or Adelaide or anywhere else, you know? And, and all the Asians sit together, all the Africans sit together, all the, all the Nepalese sit together, you know, all these different cultures, they're all in the, under the same roof, but they're all sitting differently. And I think there's incredible, powerful lesson in sociology there, thinking about the greater picture and where we're going and, and how we sit down at the table, you know. So, so I think other cities are multinational and not necessarily multicultural, which is why I go back to Darwin. And, and again, I was there in January to explore this whole thing about, you know, is the economy really dead? And I took a completely different perspective to any of the locals. And, and it's really funny. Like when I sat down and spoke to locals, they all said exactly the same story. And then after chatting with me, they say, you know what, you're, you're right. I never looked at it like that. And yeah, so, and I just filmed all these videos on, on my LinkedIn profile. And I think I did about 10 videos and, and they got like 15, 20,000 views. 
So it's really interesting what happens when you see things differently and then you start and start sharing stories of positivity and potential. And I think that needs to happen in Darwin. It's not just about being motivated. It's, it's, it's about being practical too, you know? Mm. You there, Pete? Yo. Yeah. It's all right. I have that effect on a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> my, my English is not very, how you say, good looking. Yes. <laughs> I, 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 wanted, I wanted to ask a question about that, uh, AJ. Why mm. do you think Darwin is, is um, multicult- multicultural in the way you, you explained and, and not other cities in Australia? Okay, so I think, I think it's a case of it, it starts off being geographical proximity, right? We're all together in the same boat and we see everyone everywhere. And at school, you know, there's no real we, – we just don't have the numbers to form our own groups, you know? Mm. So, so I think, I think that's, that's a big deal, right? And this goes back to the bigger picture of um, prejudice, you know, prejudice isn't necessarily a, a bad thing. It's about being familiar. And, and as humans, we're all creatures of habit, you know. So if you're constantly surrounded by the same people throughout those formative years in your childhood, you naturally gravitate towards that in later years in adults, right? So when you've got a large proximity, let's say Melbourne, because uh, I haven't lived in Sydney yet, I probably won't, but uh, let's say let's say Melbourne, um, you know, it's a large landmass. You've got a lot of migration there. You've got a lot of local-born people there. But, you know, it's large enough for you to have your own segregated groups. So there's no real compelling reason for you to sit down with anyone else from a different nationality. Um, you know, even when you get to work, right, that's the only possible time. But at work, because you've grown up with your own tribe per se, you know, you don't necessarily gravitate towards sitting down with different people. It's interesting, though, when you come from other cultures, like I... Um, I noticed a complete difference between uh, those people that have come from overseas because they're bringing in their culture. So they're naturally open to, to new ideas and new things. And if, if yeah, so it's quite interesting. Um, does that make sense, Leon? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel the same way. I mean, I came to Darwin from Perth. I grew up in Perth. Mm. Um, and, you know, as I, as I said on, I think, our first podcast, Pete, uh, you know, the day I arrived in Darwin, I said to I said to my best mate, I said, "Mate, I think I'm, I've, I've I've arrived home." <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, just the just the coconut trees and all that sort of stuff. You know, it was just amazing. But um, it's interesting. It was also interesting what you were saying just now, AJ, about having left Darwin uh, for a variety of reasons because mm. you sort of hit you know hit a ceiling. I that that's exactly what happened to me as well. Yes, uh, and and, and, I, and that's why I left. But uh, you, you were a very interesting story, my friend, because you left and, and you, you learned and you came back, you know. So you're like the, uh, the, the prodigal, prodigal son returns. You know? <laughs> but but, 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 but the, the reason I came back is very easily explained. Mm. I, you know, I, I, married, I, I married a local Darwin girl, mm. right, um, Cynthia. And uh, so, you know, the, the leaving Darwin was always a temporary situation. We just didn't know how temporary it was going to be. And it happened yeah, in wow. six years, wow. right? Yeah. Uh, because in the back of my mind, I always said to, uh, to, to my wife that when we had kids, we want, I wanted them to be raised around their grandparents, which yeah. were her parents, because yeah. my yeah. parents were uh, all over the place. So yeah. um, 
Um, so so that's, that was easy. You know, coming back to Darwin was easy. And look, don't get me wrong. It was hard in a financial sense, in the sense that, you know, you make big bucks in Sydney and then you come back to Darwin and then you sort of, you know, you, you don't have quite the same level of, um, of job and all the rest of it. But I, mm. I didn't worry about that because mm. what I was more concerned about was very, something very similar to what you were saying before. I just wanted to do stuff that I enjoyed doing, mm. right? And so I said to myself, forget about the money, just focus on doing things you enjoy. Mm. And I naturally gravitated. I mean, I was obviously a lawyer, but I naturally gravitated towards looking at ways of helping people and um, connecting the dots, you mm. know. And that has all. That's pretty much been my game plan, mate. It's it's, it's nothing complicated. It's not. It's not complicated, but it's 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 a very interesting. Like, you know, I won't go into it now, but but I, I find I find your career and how you do things fascinating in terms of um, you know, in terms of what you've achieved. You know, it's it's really interesting. But uh, something you said there, which was really interesting about the earning the big bucks, right? And I, I don't know how it is for for you guys, but I. I, I how do I explain this? Okay, so so I'm a mad car fan. Like, I'm a mad car nut, right? And I love my luxury cars and, and all that. I'm always admiring other cars or whatever. And one of the things that I noticed when I got to Melbourne, you know, coming from Darwin, I got to Melbourne, and naturally, you know, there's Ferraris, there's Lamborghinis, there's, there's Mercedes, Audis, whatever, everywhere, right? And I noticed that they're all driven by exactly the same person, that person that looks like they're going to top themselves if, um, if given the chance, you know? So, so again, right, I think there's this massive illusion about what it really means to be happy. And, and, and it's really interesting to see, like, you know, in Darwin, I, I think that Darwin still has that charm where you can be happy during the week. You know, it's not just about, it's not just about nine to five and then the weekends party, you know. Um, whereas in other states, I, I think it is. I think it really is about getting through the nine to five to have that weekend release, you know. Oh, look, I have to absolutely echo your sentiments there. Mm. One of the things that I absolutely love about living in Darwin mm. is nobody gives a rat's butt. What, <laughs> what, how you dress up, how you, you know, what you look like on the weekend, what car you drive, nobody cares. Yeah. You know, we, we know that some of the richest people in Darwin walk around in the mall in shorts, and a singlet. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And nobody cares. Yeah. And that yeah. does not happen anywhere else in Australia that I'm aware of. No. No. Well, well, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like, it's a consistent culture in Darwin, you know, and it's, it's one of the beautiful things. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's one of the beautiful things. Like, and, and it just depends. Like, if you want to do something, you know, if you want to dress up, go dress up. You know, if you want to laid back, be laid back. You know, as long as you're friendly which is very easy to be in darwin <laughs> very easy to be you know i think yeah. it's it's such a charm and and that goes back to what i was saying about potential you know like yeah just un, un phenomenal potential and, and most people living in darwin don't realize it uh that's yeah. something sad to say but i'll call it how it is you know uh a lot of people don't realize it because they're they're still in that little bubble you know and there is very much a bubble in darwin but the minute you go outside and leon you know this and pete you know this because you've you've gone out you've seen what's happening out in the rest of the world and you come back home and you look at yeah i get it now you know and i i, I was never like that until i left and I, I went back you know and it's interesting mm. 
it's probably a unique perspective as well because um, you know we've we've all got different stories as to how we came to be there. And mm. listening to both of you just then was really interesting for me because I literally landed in Darwin um, by chance. I had uh, I, I'd been running a radio network in Dubai. Wow! I left that job. My contract expired. I ended back in, ended back up in Victoria. Just went back to closer to family and home, etc. At that time, um, while I was plotting my next attack, mm. and uh, there was a series of jobs that came up in radio, and, and, and Darwin was the one that fell for me. Yeah, wow. And um, I ended up there, and, and I just went, "Wow, this place is as you both just said. It's so unique. Um, it's it's multicultural. It's warm." Um, and, you know, I, I could quickly and easily fall in love with this place. Something that, that both of you sort of touched on in various ways and, um, you know, when, when you were talking about the, the immigration before AJ and, and how people kind of um, uh, work in their cliques mm. in other parts of One of the things that I immediately loved about Darwin, and it was very, very similar to Dubai, and people laugh when I say this, but the vibe of Dubai and Darwin are actually extremely similar. They run quite parallel paths. Wow. Um, take the obvious things aside, but like Dubai, in most cases, and you, in a, in a way, you probably um, buck that trend somewhat, AJ, mm. but most people are not originally from there. Mm. So as a consequence, there is this sense of family from people who are complete and utter strangers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, when we first arrived in terms of colleagues and people we met through colleagues, but then when the kids grew up old enough to go to school, then through, you know, parents through the school and teachers at school and that. And it's, it's more just that, you know, I, I grew up in Melbourne, so you'd go to school and then you'd come home and there, there was a sense of obviously, you know, care mm-hmm. as to what you were doing. But I really do think Darwin tends to have this sense of family uh, which is a lot stronger because no one's from there. So everybody has to try and get along with people that they're not related to or that they would never have met if they hadn't ended up there. Mm. And, and you've, touched on, you've touched on a little dirty secret of industry, Pete, which is um, how do you implement diversity? And, um, and you know, like I <laughs> see, I don't know how it is, Leon, in, in Darwin. I didn't actually look into this, right? But the rest of the world has gone nuts for this whole thing about diversity, you know? And, and we want different cultures on boards and we want different genders on boards and we want different people, backgrounds from boards, uh, which is all great on paper. But the one thing that, that I've never seen in any of these diversity programs is actually any, any, uh, any sentiment towards learning how to learn from other cultures, you know, finding the commonality, right? And, and it's almost like, okay, we need to implement diversity. All right, let's get a whole bunch of people together in, in backgrounds, but let's, let's just leave it at that. You know, there's no real connecting people. And I find that remarkable. It's almost like that, that thing that everyone, no one really knows about or, or no one's really thought about, you know. Um, and with anything, like you get a close-knit bunch of people and you introduce a new team member. Well, that team member has got to integrate within that team. They've got to find the foot, footage in, inside the team, you know, learn the team culture, work out who the key players are and work out where they fit into that, you know. So it's, it's really interesting. And, and Leon, maybe this, this is a question for you. Like, is, is the NT looking at diversity initiatives? 
Uh, they are, but um, you, you, you may or may not be surprised to know that one area of, of real focus for the NT, and that includes our firm as well, mm. is, is, is Indigenous engagement. 30% right. of the Northern Territory is Indigenous. So why is that? This is, okay, this is very interesting to me, right? And, and excuse my ignorance, but we've all grown up with that culture. Why is it such a foreign thing? Pete? <laughs> Hospital pass. <laughs> I, could, I could just hear. I could just hear both of you go. Oh God, why do we get this guy on the podcast? <laughs> it's interesting, and again, um, I'm only going to give you a very, a very top level response to that. Yes, but one of the things that I find, again, uh, you used the word. You've used both the words interesting and fascinating, AJ, and they're two words I use a lot mm. because I find a lot of things interesting and fascinating that most people perhaps at times don't even focus on or look at. But um, again, uh, you know, drawing a parallel with, with the Middle East and, and the Northern Territory mm. um, because they're, they're the two topics I get asked most about when when I meet people who haven't lived in, in either region. And one is, you know, what's going on with that Palestinian and Israeli conflict? <laughs> and then uh, in the Northern Territory, what's going on with that Indigenous mob? Yeah, and I'm gotcha. like, just can't have that conversation with you because it's so diverse and so complex. And, um, yeah, it, I'm sitting here and I think everybody does it. When you have these conversations, you sort of try and fill your own shoes and think, well, how do I look at that mm. situation? Um, I find the whole diversity thing really quite interesting. Um, it, it's like when the US, um, whoever it was in the US, first announced that, you know, the Fortune 500 companies were all going to have uh, male-female quotas. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, I get it in theory, mm. but in practice, it just doesn't work. Well, you're all, and... you're very kind, my friend, because I uh, diversity annoys me. Like to be honest, it really annoys me. You know why? Because the whole thing's an oxymoron to me. Because the idea of diversity is inclusion, right? And every single diversity initiative excludes me. You know, like it's 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 so annoying, right? And and I think I think because it's a relatively it's a, I hate to say this but it's a relatively new concept and once it matures we'll see a better implementation of it I think. Yeah, well, I think what 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 tends to happen is um, in the Middle East and again I I don't want to hide about that because this is more about Darwin and the NT but again if if I were going to advertise a job in in a business that I was running mm. say in Dubai I can say exactly what I want that person to be. Male, female, race, mm -hmm. culture, languages. Mm. So therefore, the wrong person isn't going to apply for that role. Mm. But because we're so PC in this world now, mm. particularly in Australia, we have to say, oh, really, in every job ad, we have to put, oh, we really want a whole stack of different diverse cultures and we don't care what you, you know, Whatever it is, we, we want to include everyone. Mm. If I walk into 90% of businesses in whatever region that is putting those ads up, I can pretty much 
number, tell you what I'm going to find. Yeah, isn't that interesting? And and the whole thing about being PC, like I get, I get, we need to have you know human civility and all that. But the reason why <laughs> the reason why PC is is a bit interesting is that it leads to closed doors conversations, and then you have elected officials uh, like our neighbours overseas. <laughs> Uh, and, and people in power get, get in and they shouldn't necessarily be in power, but because of those closed door conversations and you'll hear one person get on stage publicly and voice those closed door opinions and all of a sudden, yay, a leader has shown up, you know? So, so it's quite dangerous. And, and I, don't, I don't know how it is for you both, but for me, I, I try to look at not what's right in front of me, but where are we going? Like, what's the end game, you know? And, and because of that, you know, it, it just changes your perspective. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, what is your end game, uh, AJ? Uh, well, to to to. But, sorry, sorry. Besides getting married to a Sri Lankan princess, um, <laughs> the village princess, <laughs> Peter. To, to catch you up, right? Lankan culture, uh, very big on arranged marriages. You know. So I was joking to Leon the other day about. You know, I don't do phone calls, uh, long story, but I don't do phone calls. And the one exception to that rule is my mum, because if I don't take her call, uh, she's going to marry me off to a village princess, you know, so <laughs> better take that call, you know. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, that that in itself is interesting because Sri Lanka was the first place I landed in um, when I left Australia mm. the first time Wow. in my early 20s. And I was like, just blown away with, whole concept and you know i worked in a in an office that had um uh mainly sri lankans mm. but there was a couple of aussies there there was a few indians mm. um but you know just the diversity within uh, religions and and backgrounds was was just i loved it it's just so interesting to see and it probably formed part of the way i see the world and view the world now is that you know, there's all this rubbish of Christians can't be friends with Muslims and Muslims can't be friends with Jews and, you know, so on and so forth. I will never understand it's all just, any of that. I just never will. Just mm. uh, this is not a religious discussion, <laughs> is it? <laughs> all right, getting, getting back to professional. So, Leon, uh, to, answer your, to answer your question, what's my end game? Uh, I'm very focused on like, you know, when you're a young fella, you want to you want to get a great job and build that career, you know, and and then for me, that career involved business and, and I've done all of that. And now I'm chasing what I call a bigger dream, which is I really want to leave a legacy. And my legacy is is teaching people to think like entrepreneurs and allow me to um, to explain that a little bit for your listeners. Entrepreneurship to me is not about starting a business and making money. It's about something completely different. It's about how you see the world around you and, and look at things in terms of opportunities and creating opportunities for others, you know, and, and I think that most people in business think they're entrepreneurs, but the way I define a business person is you're very good at a transactional value. You have a product or a service for sale and you exchange that for money and that's a business. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's, there's businesses in Darwin, you know, that are doing great. There's businesses in Darwin that aren't doing so great. And the differences between those two is the ones that are doing great either have some sort of long-term experience and existing contracts or they're big enough to survive. But if you dig a little bit deeper, at some point in those people's careers as business people, they would have fallen into the category of entrepreneurship, which is really thinking differently about your challenges. So my whole thing now is teaching people to think differently about their challenges, which is why my videos, when I, when I went to Darwin and I filmed all these interviews and, you know, just poked around, 
typical typical age I poked around and spoke to a lot of people to work out how things are in, in, in the situation there. And at the end of it all, you know, it's just like this whole thing about thinking like an entrepreneur. It's, it's my legacy because entrepreneurs really see things differently. You have entrepreneurs like, um, you have entrepreneurs like Elon Musk that are on, you know, their mindset are completely different, but also you have local champions, you know, like uh, you had Ollie burst on, on your podcast a couple of weeks ago. Right. I sat down with Ollie and what he's doing is really interesting. He's got a fascinating business idea and he's going to implement that. And then after our chat, I gave him a completely different thought that'll, that'll really help his business. It'll accelerate his business. And he, he was just stunned. He'd never heard anything like it. And, and then he started buzzing. You know, he started buzzing and it was amazing, you know. So so Ollie's going to be one of those local entrepreneurs. And and, and there's heaps of people in Darwin that, that have this potential to become entrepreneurs, you know, transition from business people to entrepreneurs. And and it doesn't necessarily have to be in business. You know, you could have entrepreneur, entrepreneurial thinkers at school, you know. How, um, I'd tell the story on stage about this kid who was failing school and then I, he came to work with me. And long story short, you know, transformed his life because he started thinking like an entrepreneur. And, uh, and it's, it's a pretty interesting story, but I won't go into it. You know, uh, you could have entrepreneurship in, um, or rather entrepreneurial thinkers within organizations. So you can look at, uh, Leon, I know you got every year, you've got that part partner meeting. You know, you could sit down there and start inspiring your partners to think like entrepreneurs. You know, where can we take the business to now? What's, what's on the horizon? Is it a three-year horizon? What are we doing in the next 12 months? What are we doing in the next three years? Where do we want to be in five years' time? And really get that creativity flowing, you know. So that's, that's the whole thing about my legacy is about teaching people to think like entrepreneurs because I truly believe that entrepreneurs are the ones that change the world for the better. And if you have a look, all your listeners now, you know, if you take a look around you, wherever you are you know sit look around in the room and see any single object in front of you that object was once just an idea in someone's head and through the magic and 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 magic of entrepreneurship and innovation and creativity and communication it's now in front of you and that just blows my mind so that's my whole thing legacy in terms of that's that's what i get up every morning for that's what i work real hard as a speaker on stage um on for corporates organizations and and that's really my end game is to leave a legacy behind and uh i tell you hard work hey <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure your mum uh, is very proud of you mate because i know your mother and i know well, what she's mums, thinking. mums are always proud like she still has yeah. no clue what i do which is interesting <laughs> Uh, so, so, uh, but she is proud, mate, and, and I can't wait to tell her that that I that I got interviewed by you, uh, and I better explain that on a podcast, not not in your professional capacity. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't being recorded. Well, it was, but for 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 good, not for evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, it's been great talking to you. Um, uh, please look me up the next time you, you come up. And definitely, my friend. With, definitely. Try try and hook up with Pete uh, while you're in Melbourne. Yeah, definitely. I will. I'll, I'll uh, get in touch with you. And, uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll definitely got to catch up with you both. This has been such a such a uh, great honor for me to be involved in this project of yours. And like I said before, you know, I've never seen so much potential and opportunity there in the territory. And, and all it needs is just for people to shift their thinking just even one, two percent. And, and uh, that's the real challenge for the NT, just to shift that thinking. And, and when you start looking at things, when, when you elevate your thinking and you start seeing things differently, all of a sudden you're going to transform the economy, the territory, and, and really future-proof it, really. And, uh, and that's what's so exciting. 
Great, mate. It's been great talking to you. All right, fellas. Have a great day. And thanks so much again for the opportunity. And uh, look forward to keeping in touch with anyone on LinkedIn. Uh, find me on LinkedIn or, or go check out my speaking website, ajk.global. Beautiful. Cheers. It's been great chatting with you. All right, fellas. Have a